when Greg said that amazing was the wrong word, that it should be hyper amazing, I had the thought, I think Greg, with you, everything is hyper, but uh, I don't know. I, I could be wrong about that. That's just what I've noticed. <laughs> you, do you know you have one of the, you have like the coolest pastor in the world? I mean, do you know that? He is, and I want to share a passage of scripture that uh, has been burning inside of me this past year, and as I'm sure uh, Greg would tell you, you know, when you're teaching every single week, some passages just mean more to you than other passages. You know, and then and sometimes you're preaching and a passage just stays with you, just sticks and hangs with you and starts haunting you and it keeps talking to you and God is saying, This wasn't really for everyone else, this one's for you until you get it and and then you can pass it on. And Matthew eleven, I'm gonna begin in verse one. This is after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And forceful men and women lay hold of it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces calling out to others. We played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We, we sang the dirge, but you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. I've been haunted by this particular passage of scripture because it gives us a description of the universe that seems to hover around the person of Jesus Christ that looks so different than, than what we describe as the church, especially here in America and in the Western world. In, in fact, this conversation that revolves around John the Baptist and Jesus Christ in many ways is, is almost like a light in the midst of our religious darkness showing us the barbarian way out of civilization. Have you ever reflected back on your life when you first came to know Jesus Christ? Now, maybe some of you grew up in church and, and you grew up inside of, of the community of Christ and, you know, thank God for that. But I, I wasn't one of those. I, I became a follower of Christ the week I turned 20 years old and I was a, a blank slate. I really didn't know anything at all. And so I, when I came to faith, I was pretty much a barbarian. You know what those barbarians are like? The ones that, that you bring into faith and, and you bring them into the community and they don't know the rules and they start doing things wrong and you're just sort of hoping they pick up the cues like you're not supposed to do that. And we don't really tell them they can't do it because it's not really in the Bible that they can't but everybody knows the rules. You know what I'm talking about? 
And I remember when, when I was a brand new believer, somebody gave me a Thompson chain reference King James Bible with my name engraved on it. So I knew it was in the book of life, which I thought was very cool. And, and it was one of those really oddly mystical things. This man walked up to me and he said, two and a half years ago, someone gave me a Bible and he told me the guy's name was Scott. And he said, and, and, and he gave me this Bible and said, God has called you to preach the gospel. And he came and gave it to me because two or three years before that, another man came to him and gave him a Bible and said, God had called him to preach the Bible, uh, gospel. And, and he said, I've been looking for the last two to three years for that person that God would tell me to do the same thing. And he gave me this Thompson chain reference, King James Bible, leather bound. And he said, Erwin, God has called you to preach the gospel. And this stranger that I didn't know, in fact, he was the one African-American man in this entirely white church. I didn't realize that he was the janitor working his way through Bible school. And he took his hard-earned money and gave me this leather-bound Bible and said, God has called you to preach the gospel. Well, I didn't know that didn't happen for everyone. I thought, this is really cool. I got my own like personal prophet who speaks into my life and tells me what I'm supposed to do. I was just a barbarian. I didn't have any idea what to do. I remember the first guy I shared Christ with was in a prison on a Friday. I had been a Christian for five days and I really didn't know anything. But they asked me to go to prison and I I didn't really want to go. It was my goal to stay out of prison. But you know know how Christians invite you to do stuff and you have a hard time saying no because you don't know which part God obligates you to do and which part is optional. And so when he said, you know, I want you to go to prison with me on Friday night, he said, you know, I don't really want to go to prison. He goes, yeah, we're going to talk to these convicts about Christ afterwards. We're going to go to a football game. I said, I like football. Then it hit me. This is sort of like a date night. And all summer long, I'd been at, in and out of church, but I was like a pagan. And I kept asking these sweet little Christian girls to go out on dates, and they kept saying no. And now the excuse they gave me was that, you know, they would be unequally yoked. Now, I had no idea what a yoke was. I... I'm not a cheap guy. I was willing to go pick up a yoke if that's what I needed, you know. But, but then it just sort of all came together and I realized, hey, I got the yoke, baby. I got, you know. And so I called this little sweet girl and I said, hey, would you like to go to prison with me on Friday night? And she said, sure. So my first like, date as a follower of Christ was in prison. And it was great because I was looking good compared to those guys, you know. And... Uh, and I remember this first guy I talked to about God. It was sort of an accidental conversation. You know, I sat down with three convicts and I said, hey, I've only been a Christian a couple of days. I wish I could tell you what Jesus means to me. And the guy in the middle said, we're listening. And I thought, man, I didn't expect anybody to be open to this thing. And, and I had no idea what to say next. I started thinking, what'd that guy say to me Sunday night? You know, and I'm trying to remember how he expressed, you know, his faith to me. And, and the guy was asked to go get some food, so he got up. His chair was taken by someone else, so I went over to him, and I said, hey, man, do you really want to know about God? And he goes, yeah. And I thought, okay, what do I do? And I had this nice Bible, and I'd only read a few pages in it, you know, because I didn't have much time to get ready. But some guy gave me these little cards with verses on them. You know those navigator people? Uh, you know, and he said, hey, memorize these. And they were all out of a book called Romans. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 10.9 and 10. And, and I thought, Romans, that's where I need to go. But the only problem with those little green cards, those little cards is they don't give you like page numbers. And so I'm going, in Romans it says. And I mean, I'm, that, I didn't know there's a, you know, they sh- you should tell people right away there's a table of content right at the beginning, you know. I had no idea I'm going in Romans it says. In Romans, and I, I had no idea it's an Old Testament, a New Testament. It should be in the beginning because it should be like kings, Romans, countrymen, right there, just, you know, flowing through. And, and by God's just wonderful compassion and mercy, the guy looked at me and said, well, I can't read or write anyway. 
He said, what? And he goes, I can't read it all. And, I, and, I, and as I was looking for Romans, I, I said, you can't read it all? He goes, not one word. And I said, oh, in Romans, it says. <laughs> see, because I was just a barbarian. All right, you see this? I know the Bible says that it's a sword, but for me, it was a club. You know, I had no idea how to use this thing. And I look back, and I kind of like deceived the guy and, and all, but, but Romans was in there. You know, I may not have been actually on that page, but I was in the general book. And I kind of worked the verses the best I could, added a few of these and those. I noticed they were really important in the text. And about 15 minutes later, this guy is yielding his life to Jesus Christ. And I'm trying to remember the prayer I prayed a few days before so that I could kind of lead him in the prayer. And I was wired. That was probably more dramatic for me than my own conversion. And I look back and I realize, oh, it was so much fun being a barbarian. I just, it was like I didn't know what I was doing and God was in heaven going, we gotta make him good at this because he's gonna drive everybody into hell. And, and I remember when Kim and I were, were first married, I mean, I, I was fairly young in the Lord, but I was in seminary. I, I, I don't know why, but that's where they told me to go. So I, I went there and that's where I thought all like new Christians went. And, and Kim and I got married and, I wouldn't even buy her a bed because I said, you know, a bed's like a luxury. You know, it's materialism. And, uh, and Jesus said, sell all your possessions. And so I had everything in a paper bag and, and she goes, honey, we need a, a bed. And I said, no bed. <laughs> I am so grateful to God that 20 years later, she's still married to me, you know? And you know what's kind of funny because there's always hypocrisy. I owned a stereo. Because you had to have music, you know, that was a necessity. And, and so we had this really nice little stereo and we're sleeping on the floor. And Kim was so gracious, you know, she never whined, she never complained. She didn't, you know, just, uh, you know, nag me. She just made the bedroom so cool. And all these blankets on the floor and just designed it so beautifully. And, and of course, we'd have like, conversations about God's will for our life should we have a bed or not and, and, and I just wouldn't bend because I was a barbarian you know I didn't know you know and, and, and it was a, a funny thing because we decided okay we'll pray about it and if God wants us to have a bed he'll show us right and well I, he was showing me really quickly in the back you know as I was a couple of weeks later I'm hurting the kitty and stand up you know I hear the spirit speaking you know and <laughs> But the strangest thing happened before I broke. There was a guy who was like, I don't know, in his late 60s, uh, Jim Beals, and, and he was um, traveling and, and was staying in a hotel, and he pulled out a Gideon's Bible, and he opened up his Gideon's Bible to the book of James, which happened to be the same book that a, a while before I had actually been teaching and investing in his life. And, and then we moved to a different city, so he hadn't really thought about us that much. But when he opened up to the book of James, he thought about me, and then he had this strange thought. He had this thought that he was supposed to buy Kim and me a bed. And so he called long distance, tracked us down, called us at home when I wasn't there, and Kim was there. And, and he said, Kim, this is Jim Beals. I, I know this sounds weird, but I was, I was traveling. I'm in a hotel, and I, I feel like God told me that I was supposed to buy you a bed. Do you need a bed? And Kim goes, yes, 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 you know. And, and she didn't bother to get my input and counsel. She said, yes, this is from the Lord, you know, bring it on. And... 
And of course, once I saw God moving, I decided, of course, that God wanted us to have the best bed available. And so we went and got a Sealy's Posturepedic queen-size bed and, and enjoyed that for the next decade or so of our lives. And, and I look back and I go, you know, the reason I didn't buy a bed was because I was a cheap jerk. You know, it wasn't because I was that spiritual and everything. It was just because it was sort of my barbaric way of interpreting what it said. But at the same time, God had an amazing way of taking my barbaric thinking because it was genuinely motivated trying to figure out what it means to be a follower of Christ and just walking with that. And what, I, I, what really troubles me at times is I, I feel the pull of becoming civilized just pulling at me all the time. How about you? Uh, of losing the barbarian way and, and, and making Christianity a world religion just like Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism and, and around the world Christianity really is nothing more than just an empty hollow shell because we've lost our, our barbarian way and John the Baptist I think helps us he, he sends Jesus a question to his disciples are, are you the one who has to come or, or, or should we look for another now that's a pretty significant and important question isn't it is Jesus the one who has to come now I could understand if I asked that question, and I could understand it, if you would ask that question, I could understand us moving to a place where we would wonder if God is God and if Jesus is God, and, and maybe are we living in this delusional, uh, you know, uh, religious, uh, uh, you know, fabrication. I can understand why we might doubt that John the Baptist, how could John doubt? I mean, remember John the Baptist was, is family, right, to Jesus, and you have Mary and Elizabeth, and they come into the same room. And the Bible tells us that, that Mary was pregnant with Jesus, and Elizabeth was pregnant with John. And when Jesus came into the room through his mother's womb, it tells us in the Bible that John actually began leaping in his mother's womb. I mean, he didn't go, are you the one, or should I look for another, you know? Inside of his mother's womb, he knew that Jesus was the one. And now he's confused and later on, it tells us that among the masses, John said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John knew who Jesus was. He wasn't going, Is it, is it this? Is it that guy? That guy? I, I mean, all these Israelites look the same. Oh, there he is. It's the blonde headed, blue eyed Jesus, the Aryan Jew among us. I just thought I'd throw that in. But um, John knew that Jesus was the one. And when Jesus came to him to be baptized, he said, I'm not worthy to loosen your sandals. He, he didn't say, you know, I think those are the holy feet. I'm not really sure. And when Jesus was baptized and the Spirit of God came like a dove, do you think John was confused that Jesus was the one? And when he heard God the Father speak from heaven, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Any confusion, you think, in John's mind? That Jesus was the one. And yet now John sends his disciples to the question that breeds and nurtures doubt not only in his own heart, but in the heart of those that he had said Jesus was the one to. See, what's going on in John's life is he's getting pulled by the civilized view of Jesus. Jesus sends a response back. Remember the response? It's, it's very impressive. It's, it's an incredible resume. Jesus said, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who are leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Whoa! That's impressive. Now you would think John would go, oh, okay, he is the one. Only one problem. Just right before that, it says, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing. He already knew what Jesus was doing. What Jesus was doing was only confusing John. Not building his faith. 
And Jesus adds something to this statement that is an aberration. It's like a theological hiccup. It, it shouldn't be there. After he, he gives all this information about the blind seeing, the lame walking, those who are leprosy are being cured, the deaf are hearing, the dead are being raised, the good news is being preached to the poor, then he says, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Now, isn't that a strange thing to say? Now, maybe mosaic is different than, than here at Woodland, but at mosaic, really no one falls away from the faith because too many blind people are seeing. It happened here. Everybody going, if one more person is raised from the dead, I'm walking out. I mean, has that hurt your faith? Too many miracles. I just can't believe I'm accepting the scientific approach. It just doesn't happen. So why would Jesus add to this incredible display of his power? Blessed is the man who does not fall away in account of me. This is why. It's because John knew everything Jesus was doing and he couldn't figure out why Jesus wouldn't come through for him. Because now John was in prison and he was about to lose his head in obedience to the will of God for his life. And John was asking a pretty practical question. He was raising some important issues. Jesus, what are you doing helping them? There'll always be blind people. There'll always be those who are deaf. There's always a leper who needs to be cured. But I'm in prison right now. If you don't come through for me right now, I'm in real trouble. And everything that Jesus was doing became like salt in his wounds. And Jesus sends this message to John, I am the one, and I'm the one who can do all this and does all this. And John, I'm not coming through for you. I'm not setting you free. I'm not giving you a way out. You're gonna die. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. You see, when you become civilized, you see Jesus differently than when you're a barbarian. Civilized religion sees Jesus as the one who's here for our comfort and our security and our success and our happiness. And and of course, as long as you're walking with God, you don't ever have anything bad happen to you. You don't ever go through anything painful. And, And that's why there's so much confusion about who Jesus is, I think, in the church even. And why people outside of God do not feel like our message is credible because they know too many people who have been hurt and have suffered, who have had pain, even though they were, quote, Christians. See, the barbarian understands that that our faith is born out of a cross, and if God the Father would not find a way out of the cross for Jesus, he doesn't feel obligated to find a way out of the cross for us. In fact, in some unusually brutal way, God is even willing to allow us to suffer and die for the sake of the cause. I wonder, what Jesus do you see? This morning when I woke up, I, I did something I, I know better than doing, but I did it anyway. I turned on the television and I, let, I, I turned it to a Christian station. And I know better than that because it's not good for me. It, it does something bad inside of me. And and so I turned it on. I, I was only there 60 seconds. I mean, I, w- I repented almost like right away, you know, and I changed it. But, but I was there long enough to hear the speaker say, and Jesus was dead for three days. And then he rose from the dead. And so you will never have to be poor more than three days. And I, was, I mean, I, st- I just want to puke. I, I, I'm just, 
I'm just so mad. Because that's, that's just, it's just a civilized, glossy religion that has adopted the name of Jesus and dishonors who he is. Your death and my death is not a problem to God. It's an upgrade. Our, our suffering is not outside of God's style. It's very much in line with his style. And, and, and In fact, I'm in an ongoing conversation. I shouldn't be on an email with a guy who's really upset because I said that following Jesus uh, could bring you great disappointment, pain, suffering, anguish, and tears. And he's not happy with me. And so he's been emailing me saying, God keeps us safe, God protects us, God insulates us. And I was in Italy with my family when I got his email. And sometimes I should shut up, you know, but I emailed back and I emailed a little statement that said, hey, if I'm wrong, I'm safer than I think. But if you're wrong, you're in more danger than you know. (sighs) It didn't go well. But I think our problem is that we haven't really made room for the others. And sometimes we forget who the others are, so let me just remind us. Let me just read. And what is, what, what is more to say? Now, I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. Those, those are not the others. Who through their faith conquered kingdoms, yeah. Administered justice, good. Gained what was promised, hmm. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, who escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Isn't that nice? I like that, but they're not the others. It says, uh, women received back their dead, raised to life. Oh, there it is. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others faced jeers and floggings while still others were chained and put in prison. You know, they were stoned and they were sawed in two and they were put to death by the sword and they went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, mistreated and the world was not worthy of them. And they wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. They're the others. Any real understanding of Jesus Christ always makes room for the others. There are some people that God throws into the den of lions and they come out alive. And you know what's great? They're alive so they get to write the story. And then a ton of others are thrown into the lion's den and they become a very nice meal. And if the lions could write a story, they'd say, oh, how the Lord provided for us. But you know what our problem is, is that we think that God guarantees that we will always be okay in this world. I I keep wondering to myself, why was Israel so apprehensive about going to war? I mean, God would give them victory after victory after victory, right? Small armies taking on big armies and winning. This David and Goliath thing. And I thought, well, if you have that kind of guaranteed victory, why would you even hesitate and then it all of a sudden dawned on me as I was reading through the scriptures I get it you see Israel would have these huge victories but a lot of Israelites would die and so when you got up in the morning and you heard the leader say look it's time to go to war when Moses or David or Joshua or whoever it was would say it's time to go to war see it wasn't this promise that every Israelite would come home God promised that he would bring victory to his people and accomplish his purpose. He didn't promise that everybody would be okay. 
And a lot of Israelites were maimed and wounded and crippled and paralyzed and killed. When God won. The barbarian way sees Jesus differently than when we're civilized. The barbarian understands that disciples look different than when we're civilized. John's disciples were pretty despondent when Jesus responded. And as they're walking away, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. I love how Jesus does this. John's disciples are, are kind of dejected and, and discouraged, and Jesus begins building up John, which also at the same time encourages his disciples. He said, um, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? <laughs> no. If, if not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Jesus is saying, what were you expecting from the one who would prepare the way for the Christ? I mean, honestly, if we were writing the script, what would John the Baptist look like? What would he act like? What, what, what kind of family background would he have? I mean, how many of us really said, okay, the guy who should prepare the way for the Son of God should, like, live in the wilderness, you know, wear, like, animal skin and eat locust. Now, like, have wild hair. I mean, how many of us would say Mad Max? All right. That's the guy who should prepare the way. I don't think so. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you keep looking for the wrong kind of person to express my heart and my life. He's not a reed blown by the wind. He just really doesn't care how he measures up against the religious criteria of his time. But you know, he's not some guy dressed in fine clothes either. He's just not that interested in fitting in into what you think a person who knows God should look like and act like. But I'll tell you what he was. He was a prophet. He heard from God and he spoke on God's behalf. I wonder how many of us have rejected the John the Baptist screaming inside of us for the John Stuart Mills that says, let's just be practical, utilitarian. Because after all, you know, you got to grow up. You ever heard that? You know, when I became a believer in my 20s, I did some stupid stuff, and people would say, oh, it's because he's young. Then in my 30s, they said, oh, it's because he's rebellious. I'm so glad I'm in my 40s now, because they now they're just saying, well, you know, he's just out of his mind. And I'm hoping God lets me live to like I'm 80, where I have no teeth. You know, I can walk in, and I'll go, let's go do it. <laughs> go now. Wouldn't that be cool? See, we, we, when, we're, when we grow old, we don't have to be dead. We can be still passionate on fire and saying, my new hero is El Greco. I, I didn't know this. I just learned this. That El Greco is an artist, right? And he was commissioned to, to paint the 12 apostles. But he thought there's something different about these guys, and I, I don't know how to capture it. And, and as he began pondering and reflecting on what, on what the apostles looked like, he, it finally hit him. You know what he did? He went to an insane asylum and picked 12 guys who were mad and made them the models for the 12 apostles. And so the 12 apostles, you know that, that look in their eye? It's the look of madness. 
They go, El Greco, he got it. He somehow, he translated what Jesus was saying. We're not supposed to fit and conform and look like everyone else. We're supposed to be a little troubled. <laughs> what did Paul say? Paul said, oh, if it were just for God, I'd be out of my mind. But because of you, I'm in my right mind. Remember when he said that? Do you realize Paul's talking to himself? <laughs> and he's saying, oh, if it was, oh, God, 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 he's driving me out of my mind. I'm just going crazy. You know, it's that voice inside my head. I got that voice there. So always telling me, do the right thing, do the right thing, do the right thing, you know, live for other people, serve. I humble myself, humble. I mean, it's this voice that just keeps haunting me. If they were just for God, I'd be out of my mind. But because of you, I'm going to stay a little sane. See, I think all of us are just going to have this thin line making us just sane enough for people don't think we're just weird. Because there's a, a bad weird to Christians, right? I mean, I, I knew somebody that had one of those Jesus trucks. You know what I'm talking about? Like their, her truck was like all Jesus. I mean, like images of the apocalypse and revelation and scripture verses all over it and like the seven thing head thing. That was like really scary. And, and I remember she said, hey, do you want to drive this? I mean, I don't even want to park near it. You know, I mean, I just like, it was like Jesus all over. And, you know, and, and she owned her own company and she treated all of her employees like dirt. And she didn't follow through on her business obligations and she ended up getting sued by multiple people and, and filing for bankruptcy. And at the, uh, at the same time, when she's treating people in a way that Christ would never treat people, she had read the prayer of Jabez multiple times, was praying the prayer of Jabez for her business. And I'm going, see, this is why Jesus has so little credibility in our world. Because we're, we're weird in the wrong way and the normal in the wrong way. And there's supposed to be something about us that's just different. And later Jesus says, look, John didn't, you know, drink and he fasted and you said he had a demon and, and I'm, you know, hanging out with all the boys, you know, and all the sinners and, and you're calling me a glutton and a drunkard. And what Jesus seemed to be saying is, look, we came at you from both extremes and you didn't like either one of us. You know why? Because we refuse to conform to the status quo. I wonder if John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, what are we supposed to look like when we follow him? Is there anything in your life that, that distinguishes you as a barbarian? That, that drives you to that primal fire where you know God, where you understand his holiness and you hear his voice speaking to you and, and even though you can't make sense of it, you know that he's pulling at you and drawing you and moving you and speaking to you and guiding you to do things that you would never do if it were not for him. I mean, to serve the world is an unorthodox thing. I love when we take our offering at Mosaic. I always I tell you, now if you're a guest this morning, what we're doing is we're taking our hard-earned money, yes, money we earned, and we're giving a slice of it for you, and you'll probably never say thank you. And because we do really irrational things because we've been changed by God. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Do things that don't make sense because our value systems have changed dramatically? <laughs> it was just, a, uh, really not that long ago, my son, he just turned 15, and he started realizing that our life experiences have been a little bit different. 
And, you know, and it started clicking to him, hey, he had me in the middle of the Hezbollah and at the epicenter of the Hamas, and we've traveled through some pretty dark and, and dangerous places. And so he came to me and he said, Dad, would you ever, like, purposely put me in a dangerous situation? And I looked at him and I said, of course. And I remember he looked at me and he said, yeah, that's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure. And then he just walked off. And, and this I know. I've watched too many teenagers of Christians walk away from Christ. And for one very simple reason. There is something inside of the human spirit that says, I want to be free. I want to live life. I want to find the adventure. And you know, there's something inside of that teenage adrenaline DNA that says I want to do something really dangerous something stupid right and my son knows there's nothing stupider than doing what my dad's doing you know there's, there's nothing more insane than following Jesus Christ and the only way my son or my daughter can rebel against Jesus is deciding to live an apathetic mediocre boring meaningless life and wouldn't that be exciting if people who rejected Christ would have to choose to conform to the average. Well, there's one other little thing about barbarians before I guess I let you leave. <laughs> barbarians see Jesus differently than those who are civilized, and barbarians are different kinds of disciples than civilized disciples. And, but the mission it's understood differently when you're a barbarian than when you're civilized. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, that's us. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men and women take hold of it. I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses. Because it's non-PC. It pushes against milk-toasty Christianity. People always ask us, is your church seeker-sensitive? And I always say, no, we're insensitive to everybody. <laughs> you know, it has to come a point where you realize that, that God is, is an adjutant. He, he comes into our system and disrupts all the cloning process. And he begins to cause a spiritual meltdown so he can reshape us in his image and likeness. This is not incremental stuff. And Jesus says the kingdom of God advances with force. You know, I love the verse on your program. Because it's the kingdom of God warring against the kingdom of Satan. It's the kingdom of light bringing people out of darkness. It shouldn't surprise us that the kingdom of God forcefully advances and only forceful men and women will actually take hold of it and advance it and engage it. I am so convinced that the deficit of the miraculous in the church is not about theology. It's about where we stand in the battle. When you stand at the edge of the kingdom of God invading the kingdom of darkness, you just begin to see God do unimaginable things. It just begins to change everything. I remember at the nightclub where we have our service, it's our longest standing traditional service, and I had this uh, Chinese woman come, and she was a guest of a friend who, uh, her sister who had come to faith, and, 
And they brought her up to me and, and she said, oh, it was a very nice talk, thank you very much. And she says, is there anywhere on the internet we could dialogue about God? I, I, I don't believe in God, but I'm interested in, in investigating. And, and I said, sure, I'd love for us to talk, but why don't we all go to lunch and talk about God? She said, no, thank you. I would rather do it through the internet. And so I thought, okay. And, and then it, it, something just happened. You ever those moments where you, you, you hear this voice and it could be God? So you go ahead and go, okay, let's give it a shot. And, and I said, I know something about you. And she said, what's that? And I said, God has revealed himself to you. And what you're looking for is intellectual validation for what now you know, but you don't know how you know. And everybody around her got real quiet. And you know what I'm thinking? I hope this is right. <laughs> right, you know? And she didn't say anything and and before she said anything else, I said, I know something else about you. She said, what's that? And I said, God told you that Jesus was his name. And talk about gauntlet. Uh, she got real quiet. She put her head down. And I just looked at her and I said, you know, if it's true, you can say so. And she just lifted up her head and she goes, yeah, it's true. Well, you know, it shouldn't surprise anybody. Two weeks later, she's sending out letters like she's the Apostle Paul and met Jesus on the Damascus Road. Because she's this intellectual Chinese atheist that had a little problem. God spoke and revealed himself to her and she couldn't make sense of it. You see, the kingdom of God advances forcefully and when God's there, it's turbulent and unpredictable and unexplainable and miraculous and really, really cool. And, and, amen. And so I go, I take my kids to an animal park near San Diego, and I, I love learning meaningless things, you, you know, and, and they start talking about, like, animals and groups. You know what, you know what humans are called when we're all in a group? We're, well, that's good, but it, it actually we're called communities, right? And you know what uh, bees are called when they're in a group? Actually, hive is where they live. Swarm, thank you so much. All right, swarm, it's okay. This will not be on the test. And... All right, let's work on easier ones. What are sheep called when they're in a group? Flocks. Okay, very good. Uh, elephants when they're in a herd? Oh, sorry. <laughs> herd. All right, okay. What are lions called when they're in a group? Prides. Very good. What are, are crows when they're in a group? Murders. You know, you're not allowed to answer the questions anymore. All right, no, no. Okay, no. Good, good job. Murder. All right. What are vultures when they're in a group? You've heard. You've heard. You stole my answer. Vultures, when they're in a group, are called committees. Doesn't that answer everything about church polity? And then he went on to explain that flamingos, when they're in a group, are called flamboyants. That explains so many television evangelists. I thought... Sorry. And, uh, but my favorite, of course, fish in a group, schools, right? Whales, pods. Boy, some of you guys, you watch the Discovery Channel. It's God. All right. Now, if you've heard the answer, you can't give the answer. I mean, if you've heard it from me. What is a group of rhinos? Anybody know? You know, this is my favorite one. Now, let me tell you about rhinos. Rhinos are like a lot of tonnage, right, with a very sharp point. Rhinos can run 30 miles an hour. 
That's fast, right? But they can only see 30 feet in front of them. So when rhinos are in a group and they start running together, moving with that pointed horn forward, all that tonnage moving, 30 miles an hour, can only see 30 feet in front of them, they're called a crash. (laughs) Isn't that great? And when I heard that, I thought, this is why I'm at the animal park. This is just a revelation from God. Because people, I work as a futurist, you know, which means I I talk about the present because everybody lives in the past. And when you talk about the present, they go, wow, that's in the future? They go, yeah. <laughs> People say, what's LA gonna look like? What's Mosaic gonna look like? And you know, I say, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, who knows, right? What's it gonna be like in five years? Who knows? Because see, I'm a rhino. But what I know about rhinos is this, even though they can only see 30 feet in front of them, and, but because they can run 30 miles an hour with all that tonnage, it doesn't matter what's at 31 feet. Because, see, They don't have to see what's at 31 feet. What's at 31 feet better see them. And and it became so clear. Became so clear. We just need to become a crash. To run full blast on everything God has spoken, whether we get it or not. You see, I hear people say, oh, I'm trying to discover God's will for my life, or I just don't know what God's will for my life is. That's a bunch of garbage. We know God's will. We're trying to figure out what the consequence is going to be. Most of the gap time between understanding and obedience is all about fear. And it's time to just do what we know as fast as we can do it and say, God, you know, I'm so scared about what's at 31 because they're going to get hurt when we come that way. But that only happens when a group of barbarians start following Jesus. Not a bunch of civilized religionists. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord God, that uh, you lead us to the very essence of life. That you cut out all the garbage, you strip away all the facades, and you teach us how to be truly human. And I pray, God, that you would just raise up some barbarians and you would strip us of our civilized selves that work so hard to fit into the crowd. I pray, Jesus, you would raise up men and women and young people who wake up in the morning somehow believing that you have created them to make a difference in the world. I pray, God, you would drive some people crazy with a sense of destiny and purpose. And that, God, that you would speak so clearly that you are inviting us to create the future and that we would have the courage to cut the way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, there's a table over there. If you're a new believer or if you're here this morning and you want to follow the barbarian way of Jesus, they can talk to you about how to become a follower. The Lord bless you.